Our reading this morning is from Acts 13, 13 through 34. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I thought that was funny too. After destroying seven nations in the land of Cana, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing this mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but the one coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And it is written in the second Psalm, you are the son. Today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. Amen. 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 It's good to read God's word. Thank you. Free. God, we, um, we come to you now. God, we pray that you would continue right now to stir in our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you speak to me right where I am. So it's an opportunity for you to pray. God, your word would find fertile soil in my heart. Holy Spirit, just move, stir within me. Open my spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Help me to see and hear what I need to see and hear as we continue to worship you. And all God's people said, 
you may be seated. Man, it is exciting day today. Um, Pastor Mark is back with us this morning. Pastor Mark is, yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord that Mark is so good to see you. Praise the Lord for all he's done and is doing and just, just thank God, thank God, thank God. Yes, we are in the book of Acts we just got through reading, and this morning the text has read, led us right into the gospelizing of everything. Not everyone, but of everything. And I will explain what I believe the text is leading us to here in just a moment. Now, about 2005, there was a book that was written by Christian Smith, and he wrote it about the culture. It was primarily about youth culture. It was called Soul Searching, and what he did is he had a massive massive survey, thousands and thousands of teenagers, and kind of to see where they stood spiritually, what they believed about Jesus, the Bible, on and on. Well, what he did is he coined a new phrase in his book, and the phrase is moralistic, therapeutic deism. So, and there's, there's five tenets of this. I want to share these tenets with you, and, and to think about this, this is what many people believe, in, and including myself, to where that Christianity in, in America today has kind of went off the rails of good theology and good, I mean, orthodoxy, and it's kind of went off into this moralistic, all about being a good person, therapeutic, you know, it's self-helps and deism. It's, it's kind of a little bit about God, okay, and, and, but mostly about me. And here are the tenets right here. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. So it's kind of like this. It's like what the belief is is that, yeah, there's a God, he created the world, kind of spun everything out there to start off, and then it's kind of like he just kind of backs off and lets everything kind of happen as it goes. You know, a lot of, a lot of it all depends on, you know, what we do and we don't do, and God just kind of keeps his hands off. And the second one is, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So what this is saying is, is that, yeah, you know, the Bible wants us to be good, moral people. But, you know, all roads lead to heaven. As long as you're a good person, you know, that's, that's the main thing. It's just about you being good. Third one is, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Fourth, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. You know, it's kind of like a spare tire religion. Jesus is in the, in the trunk, and when I need him, I'll go back there and I'll pop him out of the trunk. If I have a blowout, come put him on and get me down to the next place where I can make it on my own again. Only as needed. And the fifth tenet is good people go to heaven when they die. And I don't even know what to do with that, but we'll talk about this in a moment. And here's what you have to understand. This right here will offend no one. And an, athe an atheist can look at this and not be offended. I mean, this is not called, I mean, it's like you don't have to worry about being, you know, repenting of any sin. It's just about being good. It isn't about me that I need the cross, that, Lord, I need the ever, none of that, because it's just, I don't really need the cross. I don't really need Jesus. I just need to be a good person, and because all good people go to heaven. Very non-offensive. Matter of fact, if you take the Bible out, if you just remove the Bible, if you just say, I'm, I just want to take this and set it aside and just in my mind think of what Christianity should be, moralistic, therapeutic deism, all about being good, therapy for myself, and there's a God out there just in case I need him. So this morning, 
our text is leading us. We, last week, we were right down here in the Isle of Cyprus, and here's Antioch 1.0. We're going to go to up in here to Antioch 2.0. Let me get us a little bit closer here, and these, this is a missionary journey of Paul and his team as they left out of Antioch. Last week, they were in on the island of Cyprus. This week, they're going to come up right into this area, right? And this is, now this is Pamphylia right here. Pergola city like this. This is Pisidian. This is another area, region. And this is Antioch, a city within Pisidian. And then all of the Lystra, Derby, Iconium, this is where we're all going to be traveling in the next few weeks. And this is all in the region of Galatia. So when you read the book of Galatians, that is to the churches in Galatia, not a church. Okay? So as we're, here's what I want you to understand, though. This area right here, you go right through here. So there was all kinds of ships during this time that would come in, and they're going out here into the Syrian area right here, and these ships were bringing goods, shipping goods in and out of this area. And so all through this whole area right here was known for piracy. Pirates were all over. I mean, it was kind of like the, I mean, it was, it was like the cottage industry of this area. This was known for pirates. And then right off this, is, there's all these mountains in here, and there's all kinds of bandits. So this was a rough, hard place to go. Anybody in their right mind, instead of going up north, would go south down to North Africa where there wasn't any of this stuff. That would have been a lot easier trip to go down. The Bible never gives us indication, any indication of why Paul and his team go to the hardest, most difficult place they could possibly go. Here it is. See the mountains in the back? They would have had to cover, they would have to go. 100 to 150 mile walk, they'd have to walk over these mountains to get to this area. There's a population of about 10,000 people there when Paul shows up. This is why I believe the Spirit's leading them to this place. All kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, 10,000 people in here. I mean, listen, Paul has got this, he's got this gospel drive inside of him to get the gospel to as many people as he possibly can. Just look at the text. Paul and his companions. So this isn't only... Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. It could be more. We don't know how many there is. It's a group, okay? It's a team, a missionary team. These are the ones that are mentioned. doesn't mean it's exclusively only these three. So Paul and his companions set out for Paphos, and they came to Perga, Pamphylia, and John Mark, Mark, left. Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, left. And he went back not to Antioch 1.0, where they came from. He goes back to Jerusalem. Now, you know what's in Jerusalem? His mommy. His mother was a very wealthy woman. So Mark probably grew up in, a, in a, you know, a sanitized bubble of Judaism with his mom taking care of him. And here they come up. You know, I mean, listen, there's no indication from the scripture why he left. There's nothing in, in, in any historical documents that says why Mark left. So this is, this is me speculating. Take it or leave it. But I'm thinking, you know, John Mark, if he's a lily white handed you know, missionary... <laughs> And he doesn't have any gospel grid in him. And they come pulling up here to Tamphilia right here. And he's like pirates everywhere. He's not seen way too many pirates in the Caribbean movies. I mean, these people, these guys are sinking. They're bad. And they're like, Paul's like, the dude's, Paul is loaded with gospel grit. He gets off the ship and said, we're covering those mountains and we're going into Antioch. And that's where John Mark was probably like, oh, okay, y'all are going to go without me. I'm going back to my mama. See, now, here's what I do know. I know that when he left, it hurt Paul. Because on their next missionary trip, they're gathering up people to go. Barnabas, who is Mark's cousin, 
says, hey, Mark's going to come along and go with us. And Paul's like, no, he's not. They get in such a sharp dispute. Now, I know this doesn't go along with our, our Sunday school lessons real good. Such a sharp dispute that they split and go two different directions. So you get to the point where Paul's like, if you're taking him, I'm not going, we're going to go two different ways. We'll cover that a little more deeply as we get into that section of the text. But here's what I know. It hurt Paul. So here's what I've got to ask you this morning. Those of you who have been in church for years and years, those of you who have served in church, have you ever had someone that was right there by your side desert the mission? Quit. Stop. Go the other way. Move off. Whatever it may be. I mean, when that happens, it is tough. Now, listen, don't you misunderstand me. The one another's of the Bible are very important. We need one another. I'm not saying this morning you come in here and say, hey, just forget getting shoulder to shoulder with people. I mean, you just got to do it on your own. You got to be the solo act. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we need one another. We need to pray for one another, forgive one another, support one another, encourage one another. These are the one another's in the Bible. This is why we have church. This is why you're sitting around a bunch of one another's right now. We need this. But the other side of that is, is that sometimes you will get your heart broken. It's inevitable. It will happen. So listen, you know, here's my encouragement. If <laughs> you call this encouragement this morning, is that, yes, let's, let's, let's shoulder up. Let's go to one another's. But know this, there is only one who will never disappoint you. And I'm talking about your spouse and your children, your mom and your daddy. There's only one, and that's Jesus. Other than that, everybody else in this world can and probably will hurt you and disappoint you because none of us are perfect. We're all, we all are in the flesh. We're all sinful, and we all need to be gospelized. Every single one of us. Now, see, some of you right now, you're thinking, I don't need to be gospelized. I'm already saved. Mm, you still need to be gospelized. And I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. So here's what happens is that, see, we talk about other people leaving, but, you know, sometimes what about me? What if I am the one that may be wanting to flake out and leave? What if I'm the one who is starting to drift spiritually? I need to have some check engine light, spiritual lights in my life. Amen. So here, I'm going to give you mine right now. This is, this is, we're just going to do some therapy, and y'all are going to give me some free therapy right now. Here's what my problems are. I know that I'm going left spiritually whenever I have, now I'm still praying, but it's worship less. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just praying just because I've got a habit, or I'm just praying just because I just want God to give me, you know, whatever it may be. God to take care of me. It's a worship, but there's no worship involved. I'm, I'm praying. I'm not connecting with God and worshiping and just being, oh, man, in awe of God. Number two, next one is when my joy is getting depleted. Anybody this morning sitting in the church, and right now your joy is depleted. Here's what I know is whenever I start to drift, the joy starts to deplete and the aggravation starts to increase. Aggravation with everybody, everything, including myself, Whenever I get to that point, say, I know, okay, I'm starting to drift off in the wrong direction. And no desire to listen to biblical content, because I love, listen, when I am close to the Lord, I love listening to good sermons, good podcasts, good worship music, all that stuff. I love that. It's just enriching. But I know sometimes when I get to where I'm like, I don't really want to do this, is that when, that's when I'm starting to drift a little bit. And then when Bible study becomes 
a grind, when it becomes hard work, that's when I know that I'm starting to drift now. So what do I do? Well, I find the answer in the next verse. What did they do? Did, did Paul just throw up his hand and say, well, forget it. Let's all go home. And if Mark's not going to go with us, let's just go home then. I can't do this. No, they continued on. They, plural. Not just Paul continued on. Not just even Paul and Barnabas continued on. They all continued on. So what do I need here? Listen, when I start to drift, what do I need? I need people to pray for me. When I start to drift like that, I said, I can't muster it up. I can't be like, oh, man, I'm starting to drift. i got to start swimming back the right direction. No, no, my flesh will fight me on that. I've got to go to other people. And see, this is, we talk about this all the time. You've got to be known. You've got to be a hundred. Listen, if you, in this Christian walk that you're in right now with Jesus, if you want to be where God wants you to be, if you want to be joining God and what he's doing, you really want to be in that place where you're connected with him, then you've got to be 100% known. Not 99%, 100%. There needs to be people around you that you can share all your struggles with. But I mean, listen, I know that we, got, we talk about accountability partner, an advocate, but you know, I, I'm, listen, I've seen more than one. I've got several Advocates, I mean, I can tell my wife everything. I can tell my adult daughter everything. I got accountability partner. I've got elders around me that I share every. When I start struggling, when I start drifting, I've got prayer team people too. I just send a text and say, pray for me. And there's multiple people praying. You in this church, it's available to you. Just listen, that isn't a perk for me just because I'm the pastor. That's available to you too. But see, if you just stay isolated, you stay unknown. And you say, away from all of us, because you want to be private, because you've had other people hurt you, and you had other people gossip about you, then tell you, you're playing right into the enemy's game. That's where he wants you to be. You've got to be 100% known. You've got to be able to say, this is my struggle. I need somebody praying for me. And that is the only thing that's going to get me back in the right place when I start to drift. They continued their journey from Perga, and they reached Pisidian at 100 to 150-mile walk over the mountains. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue. And they, here, look, look at this. Galatians, remember that? This is his first trip. Check this out. Here's what Paul said about it. Later on, he's riding there. He said, surely you remember that I was sick when I, what? I was sick the first time I showed up to share the gospel with you. Wait a second. This is the same person that when we go to Acts chapter 19, it says God was performing extraordinary miracles through Paul's hands so that even his faith cloth and his aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the disease, diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them, just his sweat cloths. And he says that when I showed up the first time, I was sick. And what, well, see, like, wait a second, I, I've heard preachers say the only reason you're staying sick is because you're praying but you don't have enough faith. So what about Paul right here? He said, the first time I came in, the first missionary journey to share the gospel. You don't tell me he didn't have enough faith when John Mark turned around and went home to his mommy, and he said, let's take on those mountains because there's a whole bunch of people over there. We got to get the gospel to him. You don't tell me that dude didn't have enough, enough faith that he couldn't pray and ask God to heal him. You, don't, you say that he didn't ever pray for God to heal him. No, listen, this is my problem with faith healers. You can't heal on demand. God heals who he wants to heal, when he wants to heal. We pray for everybody to get healed, but not everybody gets healed. 
mean, there's, I mean, Paul writes Timothy and he said, let's take a little wine for your stomach ailment. Why didn't he just go pray for him? See what I'm saying? So listen, don't let anybody ever tell you all oh, the reason they're not healed or they're not whatever is because they didn't have enough faith. That is so wrong. After reading of the loss, here they are. Here's 100 mile plus trip. They're sitting in there. They've got to be tired. Paul is sick. They're sitting in this synagogue. They don't know anybody in there. And evidently, nobody knows them. Because if they knew who he was, they wouldn't do what they're about to do. <laughs> After reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to these dudes from back home, the Jerusalem area. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. So Paul stood up, and he always does this. He motions with his hands, and he said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. Now, the reason he says you who fear God, these are the Gentile believers, the Gentile converts into Judaism. He doesn't call them Gentiles because that's a curse word to them. The God of this people, Israel, Chose our ancestors. Oh, see, this is, this is vitally important. You'll see this over and over again. God's the one doing the choosing, not the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, I mean, over and over, God says, you're a stiff-necked, stiff unrepentant people. You always go your own way. You always, want to, you always are trying to get away from me. God, it's not because they were the biggest and the best. Are you listening to me this morning, church? They were the least. They were the misfits. They were the helpless. And God chose this nation. God chooses the misfits. We see that over and over and over again in the scriptures. So he made these people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt. And he led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them. Y'all all snickered with that a while ago. He put up with them in the wilderness. Now, here's what you have to understand is whenever they were going through the, the reason they were in the wilderness for 40 years is not because it took that long to get there. Because when they first got there, they saw giants. And then, you know, when it spies, when they came back, there's giants in the land, and they're like, we're going back to Egypt. Choose, let's, let's stone Moses, get a new leader, let's go back to Egypt. That's pretty much what they said. And God says, so everybody 20 years old, you know, go out, wander through the wilderness. So everybody 20 years old and older dies off in the wilderness. Then this next generation that isn't all filled up with Egypt, there'll be a bunch of warriors. Whoop, listen, now they will let me lead them into the promised land. 40 years. The Bible says their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out, and God provided them with food, water from a rock. God, he cared for them. Matter of fact, the Bible uses the word like a nurse made carrying an infant baby through the wilderness with loving care. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, God did this. It wasn't them. He heard this. Look, who's doing all the giving? James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. You realize every good thing in your life today, it is a gift of God. So he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years after this. He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So God gave them judges. So these are the nations, their leaders. So the judge would judge the people according to the Mosaic law. 
would lead the people, okay? So this is what God gave them. This is the structure he gave them. Look at this. Then they weren't happy with God, what God gave them. They asked for a king. So they, they come to Samuel. The people come to they have They have a church-wide business meeting, and they come and they come to Samuel. They say, hey, Samuel, our church-wide business meeting, we decided that we don't want your sons to come lead us because your sons, we don't like them. But so we're going to say we don't want them to be our leader. We want a king to lead us like all the other nations. So he turns around, he goes to to God, Samuel goes to God and says, the people, are, are, they're wanting a king. And, and you know what God says? God said, hey, listen, don't take this all personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Go tell them that when they get a king, that that king is going to torture them. He's going to take their children. going to take a tenth of their land. He's going, to, he's going to make them suffer. They will be his slaves, and they will cry out to help for me, but I will not help them. So he does. Samuel goes, tells him that exact thing. You're going to suffer. You're going to cry out for God to help you, but God's not going to help you. You know what the Bible says? They said, uh, even so, we still want a king <laughs> to, to, to judge us and to lead us into battle. And so they got what they wanted, and they suffered the consequences because they did not want God to be their king. And so then it says that God gave them Saul as son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years after removing him. God did that. He raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my... Now every, listen, all those Jewish men and women that were listening to Paul preach to this day, they know the story of David. This is the gospelization of everything. Every, see, see, the apostle Paul has put on the gospel lenses, so whenever he looks back in the Old Testament, all he sees is the gospel. Whenever he looks at his life, all he sees is the gospel. When he looks to the future, all he sees is the gospel. So as he looks back at David, what, how can God say that he's a man after my own heart? You know the story of David, right? David has all these multiple wives. One day he looks over at his neighbor's wife, and Uriah, he's off fighting David's battle where David should be fighting as the king, the leader. He looks over there, decides Bathsheba, he wants her, has her. She gets pregnant. When she gets pregnant, he tries to get Uriah to come home to sleep with her. He has too much integrity and will not do it because the rest of his men are out there facing, I can't do that. So then David starts lying and becomes a murderer and has Uriah set up to where he dies. So now he can have Bathsheba as his wife. So he's a liar, a cheat, a murderer, and an adulterer. And it says he's a man after my own heart. How on earth do we go from that to him being a man after my own heart? Because David was a man of repentance. Because David, whenever he got into sin, whenever he did things that were wrong, man, the conviction would crush him, and he would come to God, and he would repent. Listen, there's, this is the gospelization of right here. It's not about how good you are. It's not about moralistic therapeutic. It's not about you becoming a moral person. It's about you becoming a redeemed person. This is about you, whenever you do make mistakes, that you feel the conviction for your sin. Listen, if you go out and you sin, and you feel no conviction for it, then I question your salvation. But listen, some of you right now, you're like, man, I feel terrible about what I've done. That is the Holy Spirit convicting you of what, drawing you into repentance. That is a good thing. From this man's descendants, 
as he promised, because God is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. He brought to Israel, capital S, the Savior, Jesus. Now, the reason this is capitalized is very important because in Greco-Roman culture, every leader referred to himself as the Son of Man, the Savior, all this kind of stuff. So there's different in Jesus saying that he is the Savior than these other men. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is going to bear this out, okay? Before his coming to public attention, John, this is John the Baptist, had previously proclaimed a, Baptist of, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So the baptism that John was baptized, they were not, it was not a baptism into regeneration. This was not a baptism of salvation. This was a baptism to get ready for the Messiah to come, for the kingdom of God to come. It's a react of repentance from myself, my sins, and this whole Judaism thing. Listen, when Jesus came, what Paul's trying to show them is, is that Jesus' coming is a fulfillment of Judaism. It's not opposed to it. It is the fulfillment of it. It's been, God has been prophesying this all along, that there's going to be a Messiah, a Savior, the Son of God. We'll see that. The law and the prophets. Look at this. Here's what Jesus says. Look at this, church. Please look at this verse this morning. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament, were in force until John the Baptist. Now, since then, because here's where really the Old Testament flips to the New Testament. It's after John. Since then, the good news, because John's referred to as the last Old Testament prophet, even though you read of him in the New Testament, okay? Old Covenant prophet. The good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urged to enter in. So here's my question. Are we urging people to enter into Jesus? Is that where we're urging today? Are we urgently praying for the lost? Are we urgently sharing the gospel, gospelizing everything everywhere? Are we urging about that? See, I would argue that most of us are very comfortable where we're at. We don't feel the urgency of sharing the gospel, praying for the lost, Now, as John was completing his mission, which lasted about one to two years, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Speaking of Jesus, look at the humility of John the Baptist. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race. Listen, they're all at this point liking the sermon. They're all like, amen, that's right. I'm glad all the rest of y'all are hearing this. This is where they're at right now. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the words of this salvation has been sent. And they're all still like, yeah, amen, this is good. I like this preacher. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him as, or the sayings of the prophets that are read every, I put in, listen, I put in single right here, Sabbath, because right here, the, this word right here in Greek is kata, pan, sabaton. If it was, if this was a, like an S right here, a sigma, pas, sabatos, it would be much more, listen, because of this, the structure in the Greek, what he's saying, repetitive, over, there's a force in it every single Sabbath. They've been fulfilled. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him. So what he's saying is, is that whenever Jesus was condemned, this is something you heard every Sabbath when they read the Old Testament. The prophecy was there before us. Every time you went to Sabbath, to the synagogue, you heard this. 
And now all of a sudden people aren't going. Now they're going, what? The smiles have turned to frowns. The joy is turning to conviction. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written, this is Old Testament prophecy about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in the tomb. The reason that he doesn't say cross right there is because in the Old Testament, anybody who is hung on a cross is cursed. And so they didn't want to say that right there in the synagogue to them, so he says, taken down from the tree. Now look at this. Here's what you have to realize. There is, conservatively, I'm going to show you this, conservatively, Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Here's one of them right here. Isaiah, written 600 years before Jesus. Look at this. It says, he had done no wrong. Jesus was sinless. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. Hey, music of heaven. <laughs> Y'all hear that too? But he was buried like a criminal and put in a, What? What was Isaiah thinking when he wrote that, by the way? Now, we know that he was put in Joseph of Arimathea as he borrowed his grave for three days. I mean, but how would Isaiah, 600 years before it happened, and then you go back into the Psalms, you go to Psalms 22, and, and you, he, he was writing, the psalmist was writing out the crucifixion before anybody had ever been crucified. How'd they do that? Over 300, virgin birth, born in Bethlehem. How did Jesus control that? Because he is God. Back to our story. But God raised him from the dead. Listen, this is the dividing point right here. Here's the watershed point right here. This is the difference between Jesus and Buddha, every other religion there is in the world. This is why all roads do not lead to heaven. Only Jesus leads to heaven because Jesus is the only one who raised himself back up. To, he said before he died, he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to raise myself back up because he's God. He did that. That was the proof, the resurrection. And he appeared for many days. I love this. So Paul's making it very clear. This wasn't just something that happened. A few people saw him just at one time. This appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and are now his witnesses to the people. So let me show you something this morning, church, that is very, very important when it comes to the gospelization of everything. We're going to go out to Corinthians 15, 1 through 10. Here's Paul writing the church at Corinth. He says, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, so he's writing to Christians. Are you seeing this? His recipients are Christians. Look at what he says. The gospel I preach to you. I want to make sure that you're clear. Even though you're Christian, you need the gospel. Which you received, on which you have now taken your stand. He said, I know you're all Christian, but let's just make it sure that we're clear on what the gospel is. The gospel isn't merely a door for us to enter through. It is a kingdom for us to enter into. Okay? So this is, and so once you get in, the, you still need the gospel once you're in the kingdom. We'll, we'll talk about this. We'll, let's, let's, we'll tease this out right here. Which you receive, which you've now taken, and by which you are being saved. Now listen, I want you to understand this. So, I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I, I don't believe you can come in and out of salvation. I mean, you can get in there and think, oh, I've been to sin, I got out, I got to get back in. So the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, you're sealed to the day of redemption. You're sealed until the day of redemption. 
Why would Jesus use language about being born again if he could be unborn? It is a covenant relationship between God and you, and the covenant is 100% dependent on God and not you and your behavior. So right here when he says, you're being saved, well, he's, not, he's not saying that you're, you're kind of walking the tightrope, don't be sure and don't fall off. What he's saying is, is that this gospel that has saved you, it is saving you and it will save you. It is a continual thing. It isn't just a one-time decision, oh, I got in the door, that's all that matters. No, I went through the gate, whatever it is, and I just go live the way I want to. No, if you are truly regenerated, truly born again, then you are going to hate sin and you're going to repent from your sin. You're going to have conviction over your sin and want to repent from your sins. It's going to be something that you're going to need every single day. So don't misunderstand me and make, and, and, and make out what I'm saying. Think, oh, you, got, you, know, this, you are being saved like, oh, you might fall out somewhere. You being saved, if you hold the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Here it is. Here's most important. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's talking about Old Testament because he's writing the New Testament here. We clear on that? Say amen if you got that. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. Look at this. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. But like we said before, any Christians that, that die, he always uses the word fall asleep right here. But then some of them have fallen asleep. So he's like, if you don't believe me, go ask some of the people who saw him with us. They're still alive. They'll give the testimony that they saw Jesus after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And here's one of my favorite gospel verses. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Oh, listen, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, look at this. I worked harder than any of them. But it wasn't my work. It wasn't from, from, from my, the grit inside of me. But it was the grace of God that was with me. Listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes. The will that you've got to do it, that's God's grace in you. The ability to carry out the work, that's God's grace in you. You're working out what God put in you. Is anybody happy to be in church this morning? <laughs> Because some of y'all got some hard look. Most of the tries to help me all the time, this hard look that some of y'all got in your face. He said, David, they're thinking about what you're saying. <laughs> so I'm glad to see y'all are thinking this morning. That is a good thinking. All right, here we go. The gospelization of everything. Back to Paul's first sermon he ever preached, which is an orthodox sermon. The reason I say that is because it lines up. Orthodox means straight. Orthodontist, straightening out your teeth. Orthodoxy, straight. Theology. It is orthodox because it falls right in line with two other sermons we have in the book of Acts. Sermon from Stephen and the sermon from Peter. And we ourselves, now listen, you're trying, you're doing, you're trying to do a word study. 
with your strongs and all that kind of stuff, you'll struggle over this one right here. Because when you look at it, you'll see euangelizo, euangelion's the gospel. You'll see euangelio for all these words up here and you'll wonder, why on earth is there one Greek word and all these English words for this one Greek word? Well, let me help you with this. It's because right here at the end, case sending metha, right here, euangelizo metha. What that means is, that means if, if I was going to translate that into East Texas version, okay, gospelizing. Now, that does not make sense in our English language. You can't get a good, that's why we put all these words, because it's so difficult for our translator to translate this. Because let me, let me read it to you, East Texas version, okay? And we ourselves gospelize the promises that were made to our ancestors. Let's look at that. What does that mean? That's what I'm telling you. When Paul put on those gospel lenses and he looked back at all the promises, he saw how every one of those was leading to redemption through Jesus. He saw the gospel and every one of those promises were leading to this event that Jesus fulfilled all of them, that Jesus is God. And man, here he is in this synagogue and he's proclaiming it. They said, you, listen, you're studying the scriptures every Sabbath to try to find the Messiah. We found him. It's Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead. Your sins are forgiven. You got to come to Jesus. Place your faith in. It's this simple. Man, listen, you think that he was sitting there that day going, and it is this simple. Jesus is your Savior. I mean, a dude's got that much gospel grit in him. He didn't walk over 100 miles over mountains. He was sick. I bet he was getting after it like Patrick did that time he came and preached. You didn't see that? Then go look that up online. That brother cut loose in here. God has fulfilled this for us. Their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written. Here's the second psalm I'm going to quote it to him right here. You are my son. Capital S, why is it capitalized? It's speaking of deity. This is, he's saying this is what the psalmist was writing about, that Jesus is the son of God. Today you be, I have become your father as, it, as to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Now, what was in their mind about the promises of David? That, that the Messiah was going to set up an eternal, everlasting kingdom? And they're like, oh yeah, we're all with that, you know, because he's going to come and deliver us from Roman oppression. He's going to set up a military kingdom just like David did. He's going to be a, 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 a political military leader just like David. And I could see where they would see that. But Paul's like, going, listen, I want, to, I want to take off my gospel lenses and I want to give them to you so you can turn around and you can gospelize those promises and understand that this kingdom, this kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It's not a kingdom for a location. It's a kingdom for all people for all time. It's better than what you ever thought it was. We need to gospelize this. Let's start landing down this plane. I have never been in a church with so many pilots in my life. There's pilots all over the place in here. It's so interesting. John 6, here is, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with this, Jesus has just got through preaching one of the most powerful thinning sermons of all time. He had a whole bunch of people following him. And so he gets up there in his sermon. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody's like, <laughs> Wait, what? it was all good till this. I mean, like, man, the feeding of the loaves, I, I locked all that, but what? I don't like this sermon right here. It says, therefore, many of, not the crowd, you see, that's not the crowd, many of his disciples, now, there's not only 12 disciples, there's 12 apostles. There could have been hundreds, there could have been thousands at time of disciples, okay? These people that were committed to following him, becoming like their rabbi. 
Many of his disciples heard this and they said, this teaching is hard, who can accept it? I mean, this is not moralistic, therapeutic deism he's preaching. You see? Y'all see that? They, look, and here's what, look what he says. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he asked, does this offend you? Because it is. Do you know why? Listen, do you know why we have a hard time with the true biblical gospel today? Because it is offensive to our flesh. The moral theistic deal, that's not offensive to me. That's about me being a good person. That's about me being good enough to earn heaven. The true biblical gospel. Our good works are but filthy rags in the sight of God. There is none who seek God. That we are lost in our sins and undone. There's no hope for us apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. It's got to be his goodness, his atoning sacrifice. That's the only hope that I have. And that's offensive to my flesh. I die to myself daily is what Paul said. That's off- my flesh doesn't like dying. That's why the gospel is offensive to us today. And that's why, you know, these churches that are preaching the moralistic, theistic, you know, deism have got thousands and thousands of people coming because it's all about what I want, making me feel better about myself. Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? All of a sudden, the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. What he's saying is like, you can't understand this in your flesh. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for you to understand what I'm saying to you. That's why you got all offended. I said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, by the way, we're going to have the Lord's Supper next Sunday morning. We'll talk about that some more next week. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. So he said, this is why I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So it takes the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit for us to be saved. You got some lost loved ones, some lost friends, you're, you're sharing the gospel with them, you want to gospelize them, you know what the most important thing you can do for them? Pray that God, will, Holy Spirit, will soften their heart and they'll be receptive to the gospel message you're going to share with them. Because if you just, you know, you can't intellectually get somebody in the kingdom of God. There's got to be a supernatural work. They've got, before they can receive and hear the gospel of Jesus, realize, okay, yes, I am a lost sinner, and i got to have Jesus. I need that blood, atoning blood. On. I can't do it into myself. That takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. From that, minute, that moment on, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer accompanied him. They went and found somebody to preach that moralistic, theistic, um, moralistic gospel to them. So Jesus said to the twelve, Now, these are the apostles. You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered one of the best. Man, Simon, he had some of the best and some of the worst answers. (laughs) This is one of his best. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, I love that answer. And man, right here, this is where I want to hear Jesus say, man, Peter, you are right on the money. That's right. Y'all are my boys. Let's go. This is great. Aren't you happy now? That's what I want him to say. Let's all just, let's all sing a, a hymn right now or something. I don't know. This is good. But I want you to look at this. I want you to look at what, what the Lord Jesus does in reply to one of the best answers in the Bible. Because when we start thinking too highly of ourselves, 
Oh, only by the grace of God I am what I am. When I start thinking too lowly of myself, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He's always going to bring us back to the gospel. It's got to be gospelized. And here, I would argue, he's going to gospelize them with a hard answer. But this is something we all need to hear. Okay, are you ready? Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He's referring to Judas Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. And then they went on their own way. Now, why is that important? Because it didn't surprise Jesus when Judas betrayed him. It was all part of the plan. And hey, Judas's have been around for the last 2,000 years. They're in every church, everywhere, in every facet of Christianity, everywhere. And here's what I say to you. Listen to me, church, right now. Come on back in. Don't fade off. Look at this one. Don't let the Judases keep you away from Jesus. Amen. Don't say, oh, I'm a bunch of hypocrites down there. <laughs> yeah, they are. We are. A bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, I mean, we can't fulfill everything that we believe and do, but we can repent. Bunch of hypocrites down there. I'm not going to go to church with them. So then I isolate myself off. That's exactly what the enemy wants me to do. I just go do it. I believe in God. I'm spiritual. All that kind of stuff. Then you have no one another. Then when you start to drift, who's going to help you back? Who's going to pray for you? Listen, here's, I want to end my argument on this one right here. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. So we are to love his bride. We are to honor his bride. As every man in here that loves his wife, you hear this. You know this. You want your wife, your bride to be honored. The church is the bride of Christ. So we honor it. We support it. We serve it. We don't tear it down. We don't gossip about it. We don't do bad things to the bride of Christ. We love it. We honor it. Listen, you think you got it all together? You think you all, all that in Christianity? And you go off by yourself? You're doing the bride no good. If you really all that, you really got all the answers, you know all that, and you can serve so great and all that kind of stuff, then get in here in the fight with us. Amen. We need you. If you don't like us, go down to the other church. Find another one. This culture isn't good for you. Go find another one. We're not the church. We're part of the church. Can we gospelize this this morning? That's a question. <laughs> you want to gospelize this this morning? I'll do it. I'll do it. Y'all listen. Is that better? Y'all want me to gospelize this this morning? That's the question. I got the wrong question. You're like, wait a second. I got to do it. Oh, no. Yeah, here you go, Chuck. No. <clears throat> Let's gospelize this. So here's the first one right here. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Look, let's gospelize it. There is a God who created everything, and he is sovereign over everything, and he is in control of everything. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible in most world religions. You can't always be good, and you can't always be nice, and you can't always be fair, and nor will everybody else around you. You need forgiveness, the ability to forgive, the ability to forgive yourself. You need to be forgiven. There's nothing about us that is good. It's only the, the change from the inside out 
It's not about changing from the outside in. It's not about me being more moral. It's about me being more redeemed. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Boy, I tell you what, there's stuff welling up in me right now. I got to, oh. The central goal in life is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The central goal in life is to be connected in a rich, worship-filled relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed by that. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve problems. The very hairs on your head are numbered. He catches your teardrops in a jar. He loves you intimately and is involved in every aspect, even when you don't feel it. Good people go to heaven when they die. There is going to be a lot of good people in hell. A lot of good people today will die and go to hell. Only the reborn, regenerated people go to heaven. It's not about good and bad. It's about the people who are in Christ, the people who are in the kingdom of God. Look at this last picture here. This is where we will land, screeching halt. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to be in Christ. So if this is symbolizing the kingdom of God, these people right here are in Christ. They are saved. They are born again. They're regenerated. They've been set free. They still sin, but they repent of their sins. They're not perfect, but they are forgiven. All these things right here, they are, they are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They are seeking after the kingdom. It's something that they're working hard. They're filled with gospel grit. I go on and on. And then there's some people out here, you can't hardly see them. You see the little head right there poking up? They're lost. And they know they're lost. They're lost, and they know that they're lost. And then there's a group over here. They're not in the kingdom of God, but they think they're okay. They're moralistic. They're all about the self-helps. All about what it does for me. All about being happy, being, you know, all this, being a better version of myself, being my best version. All about that. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I'm okay. No repentance of sins, no regeneration, no conversion. These are the ones that are most frightening to me. I'm not worried about these over here because they know they're lost. That's the first step. But these over here, moralistic, therapeutic deism, is a whole bunch in our world today that are banking on something other than the gospel to get them to heaven. They're banking on themselves. Would you please stand this morning? So looking at that picture up on the screen there, where are you? Where are you in that picture? I, I mean, I know I've been around long enough, done this long enough to know that some of you are looking at that and you're saying, I know I'm in the kingdom of God. I know that I have been saved, transformed. Thank God. I'm up there praising the Lord, filled with joy. Even through the suffering, the heartache of this life, I still have joy. Everything is not going right, but man, the joy is in my heart, my relationship with Jesus. 
And I know that some of you, you don't really know. Say, man, I mean, like, if you nail me down on that, I really don't know. I, I hope that I'm in here, but I don't know. Because, man, I got some bad, bad struggles. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to try to talk you into thinking you're somewhere you're not. Well, what I am going to do is I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you exactly where you are. Because, I mean, I, listen, I know that the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be wondering and being like, I don't really know. The Holy Spirit wants you to know. So if you don't know, then this is what I'm saying, that you're not hearing clearly from the Holy Spirit. There's something there. There's some sin or something. I don't know, but you're not hearing the truth. Now, if by chance you say, I'm lost off out in the woods, I have never been, I can sin and I don't feel guilty for it, on and on, I know that I'm lost, then hear this is what I tell you today. I urge you, come to the kingdom. Come running to the kingdom. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. Man, fall at his feet. Surrender to his kingship over your life. I wonder if anybody would come down here and pray with me this morning. Sure would be good to have some humble people on the altars this morning. We need to be praying. Because without prayer, I need somebody to pray for me. I need people praying for the lost. I need people praying for the confused. We need to be praying for the saved as well. So right now, wherever you find yourself, just pray a simple prayer. Just confess to the Lord your desire to come under his kingdom, authority, rule, to enter his kingdom. I'm not going to tell you what to say. You just, whatever you pray there, you just... Maybe today you're like, I don't know. Then just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of where you stand with God right now. And let's just confess it to God. He, he knows where you're at. Just ask God to help you with this. Maybe today you say, yeah, you know, I'm, I know I'm in the kingdom. I know I'm saved. But right now I'm having a really, really tough time. Then let me pray with you right now. Just come to God with whatever this is. Say, Lord, I pray that you would just gospelize my heart, my soul, my mind. Humble myself before you, King Jesus. I want to bring this for you to reign and rule over this problem, this situation. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's 
Maybe you're asking God to soften and speak to some lost people, maybe their family members, friends, co-workers, whatever. Pray for them. Just, God, soften their hearts and draw them to yourself. So here's what I want to encourage as you're praying this. I want to encourage you to do this. Don't pray for relief right now. Don't pray for the the problem to be solved right now. But I want to encourage you to pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you to draw close to Jesus in this. He is the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He holds the whole world together by the breath of his mouth. He's got the very hairs on your head numbered. He's catching every teardrop in his jar. He knows more intimately your problem, your situation than you do. Maybe through this, his desire is to draw you to himself. Maybe you've been guilty of trying to use him as a spare tire religion. Maybe this time he's wanting you to stop using him and trying to use him as a spare tire, but to enter into his kingdom and his authority rule over every aspect of your life. Would you do that today? God, help me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I know you're working in me to will and work according to your your good purpose. Could you pray that today? All right, praise the Lord. So you may be seated this morning. I want to tell you all one more story before we do our announcements. I want to talk to you about the gospelizing of everything right here. I want to tell you one quick story, and then I'll sit down. Okay? So let me give you an example of gospelizing, not just people, but everything. So every day, I pray that everything that God has given me, I'll be a good steward of it. My house, cars, all that kind of stuff, that it comes under the authority rule of Jesus. Everything. It's his, it's yours, God. Everything. Well, we decided... Long story short, decided that we needed a whole house filtration system for our house to filter our water through the whole house. So I bought it off Amazon. I went in there and I hooked it up and I prayed about it. I said, like, God, give me wisdom to do this. Hooked it all up, didn't leak or anything. I was so happy, man. I was so proud of myself after preaching that sermon about pride last week. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realized that what I did is I hooked up this whole filtration system, but I hooked it into my hot water heater so only the hot water was filtered. <laughs> So Melissa, I was like, yeah, you know it's working real good for the hot water only. So I called a plumber. The, you know, if you've messed with plumbers, you know they're very busy. And um, so I was like, okay, the plumbers aren't going to be able to come here. So I continued praying about it. And I told Melissa, I said, I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me how I can hook this up the right way. So while I was getting all excited, I went down to the hardware store. They didn't have what I needed. I came back home, and I just sat down there. I'm sitting in my office at my computer. Here's what happens. I'm in my office. I've got two big windows right beside where I'm sitting. And you can see my front yard and my driveway. 
and I'm sitting here loading up my cart on Amazon to fix that thing, to get it all hooked up right, and I look up, and pulling into my driveway, pulling up right in front of the window, is a huge plumbing truck, and the plumber gets out. I start deleting my bucket. Because <laughs> here's what I know. All those prayers about all this coming under the authority rule of Jesus, God just saved me from myself. Now listen, I attribute that to all those prayers about this coming under the authority rule of Jesus, that I didn't make a bigger mess of what I was doing. So, so here's what I'm telling you. When I say gospelize everything, what that means is, is that it comes, listen, everything comes under the authority rule of Jesus that it invades every area of your life, the gospel does. When I see and I read about what Paul's doing, it invaded everything, changed everything. And man, he wanted to go tell everybody. So I'm telling you today, if it has invaded everything, everywhere, you will want to go tell everybody. Okay, got announcements.